OHL Hockey is back. This is the Farwell and Vogue Podcast. Originating from the 570 News Studio in Kitchener. Here are your hosts, Mike Farwell and Chris Pope. I am probably going to take heat for this, but I'm just going to flat out admit it. Oh boy. I've kind of missed you. Wow. I know. It sounds weird to even say it out loud. It's been four days. But that's the thing. (laughs) If you think back, Popper, if you think back since the beginning of February, we were going pretty much every three days with the Kitchener Rangers to finish off the season on March the 16th. And here we are now getting set for the playoffs. And yeah, we haven't seen each other since Saturday. We're recording this on a Wednesday night. And I'm like, my buddy's not like my my partner, my poper's not around. Yeah. I, I, full disclosure. I kind of miss you, man. We texted a couple times. Yeah, a couple times. Uh, that's Farwell. Follow him on Twitter, <laughs> at Farwell underscore OHL. And I'm Pope. Follow me on Twitter, at underscore Chris Pope. Mike, you know what I did Monday night? Missed me? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> and I just <laughs> loved it. It was the first night I had nothing to do. I came home. Uh, on the Sunday night, and uh, there was a garbage bag that I didn't take out, and there was dishes that needed to be done, and I just told myself, no. (laughs) You know what? No, I'm not. I don't care. And I just laid there Monday night and did absolutely nothing, and it was so enjoyable that I just felt so refreshed. It was great. I always like to, even though the playoffs were pretty much assured for the Rangers, for some time before the end of the regular season. But I always like to take a moment after game number 68 and just think back. Think back to September 24th, the night we kicked off for the 18-19 season. Think back to the Eastern Swing, the trips up to the Sioux, the snowstorms we encountered. Just There's something about that. So even though we got back to Kitchener uh, around 1 o'clock on Sunday morning after that Saturday night game up in Owen Sound, Cracked a beer and just reflected on the 68 games that were... I mean, we saw some things through the year, right? Did we ever? This did, team was... the second half not go a lot quicker oh, than the first half? Well, I think part of it, part of that was because of the pace we talked yeah, about. Yeah, maybe. Right? Maybe. But you, you look back and this might be... And, and I worry about the superlatives because it's kind of in the moment. But this might be one of the most exciting fifth place Kitchener Rangers teams this team, this city has seen. Absolutely. Because of the, the way certain things have gone through the season. It's been real quickly. I just want to tease. We have an interview coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, former assistant coach in this league, now a head coach in the BCHL, Jason Forche going to join us. You do not want to miss this. It is one heck of an interview. And yes, he throws darts at Farwell and I. It might be one of the funniest yeah. interviews ever to appear here. I, I totally agree. If not <laughs> the funniest, it's at least top two. Um, the whole year, you mentioned this team. It was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You didn't know what you were going to get on any given night. This is a team that lost to Flint and Kingston, but beats the likes of Guelph 3 of 4 since the deadline, took down Sault Ste. Marie, beat Ottawa early on in the year, you never knew what you were going to get with this hockey club. And the majority of nights, they were fun to watch. There was the odd night where they just didn't have it. <laughs> but you, you look at the season as a whole, and when you have five guys going in the second half the way the Rangers have, it is some serious fun hockey to watch. Those five guys are a unit on the power play, and they are absolutely clicking 
right now. The most of which, Jonathan Yancis with 50 and capping it in spectacular fashion. And I have stated, and again, being reluctant to use the superlatives, but I think the game during which Yancis got his 50th might be, it's almost certainly top 10, might be one of the top five games ever to be seen in that building simply because of the drama that was associated with it. I know plenty of guys, I think the number is 15 Rangers over time, have scored 50 goals in a season, but to score four in your final home game to reach the 50-goal mark when, by the way, you had scored five goals all of the previous season. So you scored almost as many in the game that got you to 50 as you had in the previous season of 68 games. There were so many storylines in that. I think it really was one of the best games the arena has ever seen. I completely agree. I've very, I, I was speechless. I, I literally was. It, was. it was up there for me with game six against Sault Ste. Marie last year. When you were calling it with Don, the overtime upstairs, and I was down at ice level and I made it down just in time to watch Cole Sherwood celebrate in front of the Sioux bench, I don't know if I've ever felt electricity like that in a building. It was unbelievable. And there's something to be said. That is when those seats right down at the glass, that is when those seats behind the bench are worth every darn penny because (laughs) it's a different feeling down there. And it, it really, that is when the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium really has home ice advantage because that barn is loud and they are right on top of you and there's no hiding. And I, that was one of those games where uh, Yancis buried 50, four in one game. It just kind of, you feel, he get the first and then you're like, wow, you, you know, he, he's had two in every visit to one sound. He only needs another one. And he's got a pretty good chance here because that other one, you're like, holy jumping. And then the third, and then you're just like, triple shift him we want to see this now and it it was absolutely crazy I hope and I think this team has given the fans in Kitchener reason to believe there might be some of that excitement during the playoffs one of those games where you feel like the roof might just blow off the building let's hope they can carry some of that over against a very strong first round opponent not only do we have Jason Forche and one of the funniest interviews we think we've yet had on this podcast Absolutely. coming up, but we'll also take a look at the OHL playoffs in just a little bit too. I just want to point out real quick, the OHL coaches poll was released today and Jonathan Yancis didn't win unanimously for most improved player in the Western Conference. They handed out points and you earned a certain amount of points for first place visit or first place finish. Not every coach named him as the most improved player in the Western Conference. How? How? 50 goals. He had five last year. Eight in his career. How? <laughs> How? I, I, you, know, you know who I think didn't? You know who I think didn't? Dale. I didn't do the math. Yeah, Dale. It was yeah. Dale. And George. 100%. Yeah. The well, biggest George rivals. Might, George might have. <laughs> George has been around long enough. Um, there was a great picture posted today by Sean Fafar. I'll give credit on Rogers TV. There's a mural in the odd, and it shows Skinner as the late, or the 50-goal scorer. And then it's got Gabriel Landeskog as the captain. And so Rogers took a photo of Yancis in the same position as Skinner, the next 50-goal scorer, and Ricard Hug, who happens just to be the Swedish captain at the same time. Fantastic. So it's phenomenal. Well done. I thought it was just a really a great way to tie it all together. Stick tap to that. I'll yeah. have to go on Twitter and, uh, and find the picture. Okay, before we get on to talk about the playoffs and get to that interview with Jason Forche, all of this talk, and listen, 
It's special. Isaac Ratcliffe did it on the same night. Justin Brazo goes for more than 60 this year. Ty Felliber, which was leading the charge, who was leading the charge through most of the season, finishes just shy of 60. Not in any way trying to say that it was the greatest achievement, but it was certainly a lot of fun in Kitchener, and we had the chance to talk to the kid after he scored four times to reach 50 on the season. A stick that has already been labeled Jonathan Yancis's 50th goal stick, March 15, 19, versus Owen Sound. He's got the game puck with the same label wrapped around it. 50 goals. What? It's like I literally can't describe it. Uh, you always want to have a season like this. You never think it'll actually happen. And, like, everything just went right tonight. Every puck I touched went in the net, it felt like. And, like, the guys found me and everything, like... I woke up from my nap in the shower. I said, I want to do it tonight at home. Like, I told the boys after it happened that that was my thought process, and it just, I can't describe it. The last 50-goal scorer was Jeff Skinner. He went on to do some pretty cool things, I think. He did it in this building against the on sound attack. Did you know that? Yeah, Bear told me. I guess Bear was here or something, so it's a little uncanny. Like, what are the odds of that? And What does it mean to do it in front of this fans? there's 7,000 people that come out here every night and I just it's like they supported us through everything they uh, a little bit ups and downs this year and uh, they came out here and like just did it for them did it for me did it for the boys it's just unreal going back Jonathan you were an undrafted player into the Ontario Hockey League (laughs) you signed with this Rangers Hockey Club Going back to that time when you're putting your name to paper, did you ever think you'd be standing here with 50 goals in a single season? No, no I had goals that I want to achieve. 50 is something you dream of, and it it's surreal just being in this spot right now. After the game, Jay has mentioned on numerous occasions how tight this group is. They lined the red line here with their sticks in the air for you to come out for the first star underneath them. What were you thinking? Like, the boys in there, we all love each other. This is the closest team I've ever been on in my life. We all love hanging out together. Everyone's friends. There's no no clicks. There's, and just seeing them on the red line, I was almost in tears. Like, the support they've given me all year, like, I couldn't have done it without everyone chipping in, everyone helping me, and it's just unreal. Safe to say Greg Morales has forgiven you for looking him off in Erie? I hope so. I'd be a little, I don't know. I don't know, but we'll help them out. What's the plan for the stick and puck? Uh, apparently, I don't get to keep the stick. Uh, it's getting framed. And then the puck, probably give it to my mom. She likes keeping them. So, Jonathan, congratulations. It's been a privilege. Thank you so much. Real quick, did us eating at the same restaurant last night have anything to do with your four goal night? I really do think it was the keg dinner. Uh, Lucas Files Billets took us out. Shout out to them. Really helped my game tonight. And. Uh, I, yeah, seeing you there just really got me fired up for today. It was great doing that interview, Mike, because you could see the raw emotion and the the tears welling up and the, the raw emotion that he had and love that he had for his teammates. It was, uh, and it, I've had a co- couple really good ones with Jonathan Yancis over the years, and that one by far is number one. I want to encourage you, if you have not already seen it, go to the Kitchener Rangers Twitter feed. Uh, You'll have to scroll back a little bit by this point, but just find the picture that the Kitchener Rangers posted 
of Jonathan Yancis with the firefighter's helmet on, holding up the puck, and he's holding his stick still in the locker room. Because that face says it all. You don't have to be a fan of the Kitchener Rangers. I think any fan of this game is a fan of it because of these young men, what they come to mean to their communities, uh, how we want to watch them succeed at the next level, whatever that level may be. But honest to goodness gracious, you can tell in that picture that the Rangers posted to their Twitter feed after the game that, of course, he had been crying. His face just his face says it all. It's it's a fantastic picture, and it really says probably 10,000 words instead of 1,000. It was great to see him score the goal. He goes over. Everybody mauls him right away. Uh, and then he goes over to the bench and basically just jumps into the bench. Raw emotion, just jumping into the bench after going down the line, and they did the review. And, of course, it's announced that it's a goal. He jumps in. Everybody tackles him. Post game, everybody lining the red line. There's a video on both of our Twitters. Check it out. It's just you could tell that they've talked. We've heard players talk about how close knit this group is, and we heard it from Jonathan there, where he said, "There's no clicks. Everybody's friends with everyone. This is the closest team he's ever played on." And I think that game really showed us that you know it's one thing to say it, but they show it each and every day. Um, former assistant coach. Yeah, I think uh, I think he was here when the year that J- Jonathan Yancis was brought in as a free agent to Kitchener. He was as an assistant. That year, Jonathan signed uh, just before the trade deadline in January. Um, and let's just get to it. It's a fantastic interview. Former junior A coach, tons of championship pedigree, now a head coach and general manager out in the BCHL after stops in Ruren, Noranda, and here in Kitchener. And we'll apologize that we were all over the place with this interview, but there was so much to get to. We just get really excited when we get a chance to talk to Jason Forche. How's life in British Columbia, my man? Well, I think it was 70 degrees today. I uh, got out for a little walk around town, did a little Coquitlam crunch. So I would say uh, it's going all right. That Coquitlam crunch I hear can be quite the workout, Forch. How are you feeling? Oh, I was just taking photos of it. Yeah, no, it was. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, after uh, after a tough first year with the Express, when you join partway, you're a playoff team again. I mean, seeing some progress out there. Yeah, you know what we uh, we had a we had a pretty good season. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm doing cartwheels over here, but uh, I'd say it was a good year. You know, we had a lot of kids uh, get scholarships. We've had a lot of positive things and. And we had a tough first round opponent right now. They're on to the third round. And, you know, I think they gave us a little bit of a lesson of just how hard you got to work in the playoffs to have success. How was the playoffs? You mentioned that <clears throat> tough opponent. It was the second best team in the BCHL. How, how did, how did your team fare? That's a tough opponent. Yeah. You know, during the season, we played them eight times and our division was rare because we played, uh, the number one seed in the, in the BCHL, we played them eight times, and we went 500 against them throughout the year. And then the second-best team, we played them. We uh, we beat them twice, lost twice in overtime, and then we lost four times. So we knew it was going to be tough. And uh, they're a real, real stifling team. They, they have nine of their top ten players back from last year's team that made it to the finals. So, you know, in all honesty, after game four, we could have been up three games to one. They were all one-goal games, overtime loss. I was really proud of the effort we gave. Um, but, yeah, you know what? Um, you know, we beat them game four. We go into their rink and had a tough game five. And, you know, one bounce here. And as soon as you know it, you're down 4-2. And that's how it ended. But, uh, you know, moving forward, I think there are some really good positives for us to learn. And, 
um, just to see the, the the compete that that team had and how tight they were was extremely difficult uh, trying to create offense. I'm glad you brought up the playoffs, Forge, because that's the reason we wanted to bring you on the pod this week because we're just getting set to start the playoffs here in the Ontario Hockey League, and I know you've got uh, a whole bunch of that experience behind you, including, of course, that trip to the Memorial Cup with Ruen Naranda. When you come into uh, a playoff, is there anything to the idea that there is a different gear that you have to find or a switch that you can flip because everything changes in terms of the intensity and whatnot on the ice? I really think there is. I think, you know, good teams can be great and great teams can become just good hockey teams if they don't work hard. Um, you know, in the playoffs, it's it's all about goaltending, timely saves, but it's, you know, managing that roller coaster ride of up and downs. You're not going to get, you know, the old Edmonton Oilers uh, 1987 back and forth hockey too often, and chances are the teams that play that style don't always have success. Not to say that there's not an anomaly here and there each season, but um, you do have to be able to be creative offensively, but there's a reason defense wins championships, and uh, it's a commitment through a whole group that uh, is on the same purpose with each other. And, you know, I really do think that there is a different mindset in playoffs. Some teams can just ramp it up another level. Ford, you mentioned championships. You got five of them as a coach, two of them as a player. How much do you look back on your championships when you're now coaching? <coughs> Seven. Uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> I, would say, uh, I would say I look back at them all the time. I, I feel like a big baby half the time. Whenever we're doing these pre-playoff meetings, uh, you know, in reality, I've never been a guy that's been overly emotional that way. And I find I tear up a little bit. It's not for the fact that, you know, you, you recognize how great it is. Like my first championship as a player was one that I really didn't care too much about. But when I saw the guys in the locker room and how much it meant to them, it was unbelievable. It was so powerful that you can't describe it. And then as a coach, when you go through it, your first one, you know, everyone doubts you as a coach. Everyone is always looking, no matter how successful or poor you do, everyone still has something about you that they don't like or that, you know, so you're always feeling like you're fighting against it. And your first one you win, it's like, wow, you know, I'm really proud of something we achieved and you get a really special bond. And then every every time since, in all honesty, I've been able to just step back and watch the players. And it makes me emotional even thinking about it, just how special it is to recognize, um, you know, the work they put in to see how they've been able to achieve something. And, you know, I'm sure it'd be no different than having a child drafted in the NHL or just someone who excels at singing and, and, and they're singing in the school play, all those things I think come into play. It's, it's unbelievable when it's not about yourself. The, the game has changed since you had those first championships as a player. You know, I don't, I don't know if we'll uh, ever see another Jason Forche like player. I was taking a look at the, uh, junior A stats, and, and the one year uh, in Newmark, you had 101 points in 40 games, but you also had 154 pims. That's uh, quite the year you had. Are you? Are you? Well, you know what, Popper, they have video review now, so I couldn't have chiseled that many points. <laughs> <laughs> are Are you happy with where the game is at now, though? Uh, yes and no. I think the game is faster. It's more skilled. It's better. Um. I do feel at the minor hockey level and different levels, we're forgetting some of the the purpose of why kids are playing sports. Uh, it's really business oriented from a young age. And, you know, we might be forgetting some of the values and lessons we need to teach people 
along the way so that our society down the road is going to be where it needs to be. But um, I think it's I think it's a really good game. I do wish there was a, a I guess a, a little bit more physicality in the game, and you know I don't think that's ever going to come back personally. I don't. I think I'm I'm a little bit of a caveman, and everyone seems to think that uh, whenever I say that, oh, you're not worried about the kids' health. Like, unfortunately, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about head trauma and concussions, and I'm not a doctor nor am I a specialist. I can't say what's right or wrong, but I do know that when we're talking about a physical sport, we're talking about combat, um, whether it's competing on the ice for pucks or space. You know, I still want to see guys that have a little bit of an edge. There's a reason why not, you know, everyone can't play. There's got to be some physical play, and, you know, who wants it more? That's, that's to me, something that I'd like to see in the game still. Completely agree. Yeah, you. we're all on the same page with that one, and we've been uh, discussing that throughout the season here in the Ontario Hockey League. And you, you know the league so well from, from the Q uh, into the O and now into the BCHL with your with your last three stops. I I gotta know, Forge, what the travel compares like based on where you are now to where you've been. What's it like in the BCHL? Well, I think our division uh, is pretty good. I, I we go to so our division has five teams. Um, so we play Langley, which is forty five minutes to an hour. Surrey, forty five minutes to an hour. Um, Chilliwack, an hour and twenty. And then we have to go to. Prince George, which is a nine-hour trip. So that one's bad. And then you play every other team in the league one time, home and away. Um, so, you know, you'll go to the island for two games or back-to-back, or you'll do um, you'll do three games back-to-back. So it's not terrible. Like, at the end of the day, you know, I think the one thing I really enjoy about the BCHL and, and what I did like about Ontario Hockey League and Quebec Major what I remembered most growing up in Sault Ste. Marie playing hockey was the traveling together, was spending the hotels and, you know, getting to really know my teammates. And I think that's something that this league allows players to do. I think you have eight or nine road trips where you're overnight. It's not a lot. It might be just one night, but just that time with your, with your brethren, I think is pretty cool. I just lost the bet to Pope. Uh, you worked in the Sault Ste. Marie reference already. It's one of my favorite parts, though, Forge, about going to the Sioux now. I've always enjoyed that northernmost trip in the O, but I usually get a text from you while we're up there. Uh, now that you have no association in the Ontario Hockey League, do you go back to cheering for the hometown Greyhounds? Nah, you know what? I still love a lot of those kids on Kitchener, but, you know, um, I do love the Sioux as well. Like John Dean's a, a friend of mine, and I think he's a great coach, and I coached against him in junior A for a number of years. But, you know, if you want me to pick two, there you go. I couldn't I couldn't just pick one. <laughs> Forge, we were talking, obviously, the Sault Ste. Marie uh, childhood. What was it like growing up up there? Uh, I'm trying to think uh, what it would be a comparison to, because I was looking at Game of Thrones, and that's probably not a good comparison. <laughs> but let, let's, let's go this way. You, you basically have a lot of people that know your family. So anytime you're Dennis the Menace outside in public, uh, your dad is going to hear about it or your mom is going to hear about it. You were raised by the village. And I, I, I'm so fortunate to be part of that, you know, family atmosphere that Sault Ste. Marie brought in a hardworking and blue-collar type mentality. You know, I, I feel like it doesn't matter, you know, who it is, whether how much money they have, I know... As, as a guy from the Sioux, I know most Sioux people are pretty pretty similar when it comes to 
just judging the person for who he is, and we expect uh, you know we expect everyone to be pretty kind. And I think every time you're up in the Sioux, you probably see it. It's it's still got a lot of those old school values and traditions where people are saying Heidi on the road. And um, but I will say this: the snowbanks were really ten to twelve feet high when I grew <laughs> up there, and you're on the outdoor rink for a minimum a minimum of two to three hours, you know, four or five days a week. Uh, we can attest oh, to the snowbanks. Yeah, we, we can attest to the snowbanks. <laughs> that is for sure. Uh, you, you mentioned Dennis the Menace. You mentioned being outside on those rinks, and I talked about the 154 penalty minute season. I didn't mention that you had over 270 combined the previous two years. But was it out on those outdoor rinks and in the snowbanks and being Dennis the Menace that kind of led to your style of play when you played? A little bit, but in all honesty, uh, I talked to a lot of people about this. I was I, I would box when I was young. Did I, did I have a little bit of uh, fun? 100%. I was obviously a little bit of a pain in the ass. Um, but, you know, truthfully in hockey, I, I understood what my role was, but I was also an energy. Like, I couldn't stand still anywhere, and you guys have been around me. You know, you'd think I'd be 150 pounds the way I'm moving, but uh, it hasn't correlated to that fitness aspect. Fair. <laughs> Forge, I got to ask, because it, it wasn't long after you got out to Coquitlam that you were tweeting all kinds of rave reviews about the play-by-play team out there. It, it hurt a little bit back here. I, I got Now, were you just trying to throw some shade back at Popper and I, or what's the deal here? Well, in all fairness, I, I don't want to call you out on it because I guess I had had a few people from Kitchener talk to me about the uh, what they call the Homer in Kitchener. <laughs> uh, I don't know what that means, but I know people had discussed that with me. But uh, no, you know what? I uh, I'm a guy who loves passion, so I loved what you guys did. I loved you guys being around the team, and you know, you guys were super respectful and super um, you know discreet and professional about anything that you did see around the team or here or um, you know those those type of people like yourselves and the Eddie Gregory's, the Jamie Neugebauer's, the various different people I've met throughout the hockey world. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of the stuff that I love that mentality. Somebody that's passionate, that's doing it, whether they got a million dollars or 20 bucks, it's just, it's, it's a love for something. And that's kind of what uh, makes me happy. Uh, I, I got to share a story with you, and I'll give you the quickest version that I can. But this past summer, I'm on motorcycle trip with my buddy. We pull into Kirkland Lake. We're coming into the Super 8, and there's a couple of older fellas tailgating in the parking lot prior to a Tom Cochran concert that's happening in Kirkland Lake that night. I kid you not. I go over and make strike-up conversation. They've got a cooler in the back of their truck that's got a Ruin Naranda Huskies logo on it. Turns out... One of these older gentlemen tailgating in the parking lot of a Super 8 in Kirkland Lake is a fellow by the name of Randy who tells me he is one of the owners of the Ruen Naranda Huskies. Is that in keeping with the ownership group you knew while you were there? Definitely not, but I can tell you this. Maybe when the outside city limits, things do loosen up a bit there, but it's such a small town. Uh, but I guess the old saying of Ruin Miranda is, if you can fit it in a cooler, it's acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> what do you take away from your time with this hockey club here in Kitchener? Well, I think there's a lot I take away because it, um, it was my second year, I think, being an assistant. And it was something that uh, I got fond respect for Jay McKee. Love Matthew Barnaby. Um, you know, had a great time. I think for me, being, being a third assistant as a, as a career path, Probably not something I was overly loving. Um, 
doing that. But what I can take away from it was, is regardless of what your role is, regardless of what your role might be on a staff, just enjoy it every day. I know sometimes I'm pretty passionate and, you know, there might be something I want to see done differently or whatnot. Uh, I could tell you just enjoy it, have fun. There's no, there's, there, there's nothing better than being able to work with kids and you take for granted how good Kitchener treats their staff and their players. It is, uh, it's something that when you talk to other players in the summertime, I might train kids from other teams and they'll tell me stories and I'll be like, Oh, we didn't do that. You know, when I was in Kitchener, we didn't do this. And, and Ruin Aranda was such a small market that I'm not going to say they mistreated any player because it was fantastic. They were unreal, but it's just a different level. They did everything they could, but it was a different monster. You know, one you're talking about the New York Yankees. The other one you're talking about uh, the Oakland A's. Do you like wearing both hats out there? Speaking of kind of the role you had here in Kitchener now as head coach and GM, is that a preferred role for you? Truthfully, I don't love it. Um, I love being a coach. You know, being a GM is great. I can control who I bring in and whatnot. But there is a lot of work. There's a lot of phone conversations. There's a lot of emailing um you know not to mention as a coach you still have a lot to do uh in the day-to-day operations i consider myself fortunate that i'm 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 a pretty anal guy and i'm very organized and i think that's what gets me by but i really just you know love being able to come to the rink and doing video doing different things working with kids um i recently had dave clarkson out here and we were chatting and he's getting in the coaching now and he's pretty pumped about it and you know, he was shocked and he's like, hey, like how how many how long are your days? Like some days my days were seven thirty in the morning till ten at night till eleven at night. That's just that comes with it. It's not a job. It's you know, it's like I got the best fantasy team going and I gotta try and make it better. We're we're kind of all over the place here with our questions and I apologize. I, love it. I apologize <laughs> for that. We're keeping you on your toes. Um, much like the uh Coquitlam Crunch earlier today. Uh <laughs> when you were with Ruben Miranda <laughs> Uh, I hate to bring it up, but uh, a Memorial Cup loss I, in the final. I didn't final. bring this up. I, did. I did not bring that. We talked about before yeah. a game in London way back when. I'm not even. I'm out of this forge. Okay. Uh, Memorial Cup loss in the final to London. Do the losses hurt more, or do all the championships you've won mean more? Have you ever been punched straight in the nose? I was just going to say, Forge, <laughs> take a swing. Go ahead. Deserves it. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I just didn't. You know what? Um, that's a good question. It's not something I really thought of putting a, a pain tolerance on or a pride tolerance or a happiness. It's, it's a totally different emotion because, you know, this, you, you know the sun's going to come up tomorrow, but at that moment you just want to crawl under a rock. And I, I really didn't even feel terrible for myself. I was, I was so happy to be there, but I knew when I was going to see those kids, that's the hard part. Uh, I'm going to say they all, like, whether you lost in overtime of the Memorial Cup, whether you lost in game six in the first round, it's still, you know, when you see the players that their careers are done in junior or their seasons are ending, I think that has a great impact. But, you know, to be quite honest, it doesn't have the same impact of winning. And I, I, I made sure to bring up the championships before the loss, Farwell. Yeah, so okay, sure. You're welcome. Like, that helps. Hey, listen, yeah. it's, a, it's a good question, Farwell. Leave him alone. <laughs> Thanks, Forge. <laughs> uh, and well, lastly, I just want to ask, because I was looking at the Hockey DB page uh, today while I was working, uh, <laughs> and I noticed that you went over to Germany for a little while. Is there a good story from over there when you first went over to play and you were like, 
what is going on over here? Or this is different. Yeah, I would say I, I how long is this podcast? Uh, we got all the time <laughs> in the world for you, buddy. Yeah, I would, I would say I have a, a lot of different stories, but, uh, I would basically say an easy one that's PG would be when I went over there, I called my buddy. It was um, end of July. I was there July 24th or 25th. And uh, I called my buddy and I was like, hey, I'm at Oktoberfest right now. And he's like, what? I'm like, I'm, I'm at Oktoberfest. I'm like, I'm calling you from a payphone. I'm, n- I'm not lying to you. It's Oktoberfest here right now. He's like, it's not October. <laughs> so in my head, I'm thinking to myself, I was... It's the Oktoberfest that I grew up with. It was just a regular beer garden. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. I, like, it was Oktoberfest. got the big beer steins. Um, and then another, another time there when I first got there. And, and to, to, make it, to make an easy thing, I went there at 21, um, and I got cut from the first team after eight games because I only had one goal. So I was second on team in scoring and got gassed. Hopefully <laughs> so. The other player was better. And and in all fairness, at 21, I was very immature and didn't understand what being a pro was. Uh, they were paying me well to be a pro, and I don't think I truly was. But I was playing against John Shabbat, and, and I was a hockey card enthusiast. And I know I had many of his hockey cards with the Detroit Red Wings. We were battling in the corner. Tony Tanti was on that team. And I uh, ran John Shabbat, which most, most imports don't hit a lot of, I don't know. I had to play a certain way that I figured the play. And so, and then he kind of turned around and gave me a little face wash. So I punched him in the head and dropped my gloves <laughs> and uh, he didn't do anything. He just cascaded away. And then uh, we we're in the penalty box. He asked me if I was new and I said, you know, I didn't know if he was trying to like chirp me or not. So I said, well, yeah, it's my first year. He goes, well, kid, let me give you a tip. You don't drop your gloves over here. Cause somebody will stick you in the face. I'm giving you a warning. Next time I'm sticking you. <laughs> Forge, we gotta we gotta get the other stories in the uh, bigger, longer, and uncut version of this podcast. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think we better uh, we better settle in for about a three hour tour. <laughs> so, is the SS Minnow still going on? Too? Safe to say, it was a good time then, eh? You know what? It was a great time, but you know, it was something that I look back on, and you know, I, I, it, it's helped me as a coach. Like I can recognize a lot of the same traits and players, and you know, part of it is taking the easy route most of the time as a player rather than, well, I know this might be the right one, but eh, I'm going to miss out on something. Meanwhile, the only thing you miss out on is your money. Can you think after, I mean, you know, we're having a couple of laughs here, reminiscing about the old days. Uh, well, not that old, but the times we were, we were spending together on, uh, on buses here in Kitchener. Can you pick out a highlight, Forge, at, at this point or to this point? Oh, you know what? We had we had some good chats. I, I I did like some of the some of the chats. I could say one of the highlights might have been when Danny didn't get the right meal one time. <laughs> um, that might, might have been a highlight because I I think he had a bit of a temper tantrum. But you know, thankfully it wasn't my fault, so I was pretty happy. Um, and another one I think I would have to say is Matthew Barnaby sleeping uh, literally about. 20 minutes right after a game with a pair of tight pants on and I might have been making fun of him a bit and I think we all might have had a little bit to do with that at times. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> well, I think it was there's... it was uh it was a fun it was a fun time and and I think I think with you guys there uh you guys would probably be the ones to say that you might have had a little bit more fun than us. You know, especially with the tedious tasks that you guys had every day, but uh 
I would say it was a pleasure to have you guys there, even you know, even though you know I had to listen to Firewall complain about the refs half the time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Welcome listen, to a, my world. A dive's a dive, Forge. Let's be honest. We gotta call it like it is. You know what? I, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but uh, I think a dive is perfectly uh, normal, and if you can do it, do it. Why not? If you can get two minutes on a power play, go for it, huh? Well, exactly. I don't think you've got to be diving all over like soccer or anything, but if the game is going to keep going the way it's going and you know, it's gonna you're gonna get rewarded. Well, you know, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, I guess. <laughs> I like it, buddy. I've made a commitment. I'm not chirping refs anymore. It's over. That's that's the old farewell. So uh He said that at the start of the year too. Did I? I can't remember. <laughs> I said I've said I was gonna go on a diet many times too, so I know <laughs> I know the pain. Forge, it is so great to uh, to catch up like this. When you're back in this neck of the woods, give us a shout, and we're definitely going to have you on for uh, round two of this podcast. We'll bring in you and Barney. Oh, that would be fantastic. <laughs> will, I, will I even be able to talk, or is he going to talk the whole time? <laughs> I don't know. We'll let, you, we'll let you guys sort that out. Well, we'll have to duke it out and see. Farzi and I will be so protected. We'll feel so tough. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, you know what, Popper, I still think with that Chesterfield jacket on, you'll be protected enough. <laughs> uh, I was walking, I got to tell that story quick. I was, Forch was walking up from the room and I was doing the TV stuff and I was down at ice level and I had this old jacket I picked up from Valley Village. I thought it was pretty slick. Forge stops, turns, looks, and goes, you look like a goddamn Chesterfield. <laughs> <laughs> I keeled over laughing. Not, oh. not much has it- changed, Forge. <laughs> No, you know what, though? He's got the style to pull it off. You know what? He's, he's a good man. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> all right, buddy. We'll let you go. Thank you so much for taking the time. All right, boys. Uh, all the best, and hopefully uh, we'll see the Rangers in round two. Great to talk to you, buddy. We hope for the same. Take care. Bye-bye. You know, I can't help but think, as we're doing that interview, of all of the conversations, and Forch alluded to them a little bit, but that we had over the year that he was here, uh, he was riding the buses with us because he was two seats ahead of us on the bus. And he'd, as the bus was filling up after the game and everybody was getting back on, he'd turn around, kneel on the seat, face back, and just just go. Uh, he just because he had stories, he had he had things he wanted to get off his chest about the game, good, bad, or otherwise. Anyway, you can tell from that interview, the man loves the game of hockey and uh, is pretty quick wit too. If the hockey thing doesn't work out for him. Who knows? Man, he was always the funniest guy. He was so <laughs> funny. And as much as he would throw daggers and darts at you, that was one of my first years involved with this team. One of the first. Um, I think it was my second. But come Christmas time, doesn't Jason Forche hand me a card? It's got a Tim Hortons gift certificate inside. I just said, thanks for all your work covering this team. To me, I was like, you, hey, do definitely not need to do that. Are you trying to make the current coaching staff feel bad? You no, but I'm just saying it's on. a nice thing to do. No, he's I a know. nice guy. Like no, He's not a nice guy. Let's I think not he's be- great. <laughs> I think he's great. You, you, don't, you don't get chirped the same way I do. I, I just remember <laughs> the, conver- the conversations him and Barney would have were just, I could sit and listen to the two of them yeah. for, for days. Neither is ever for at days. a loss for words. <laughs> it's yeah. just cold. It's been one of the highlights covering this hockey club. All right, let's move on. It is playoff time, and uh, I think there are some really good lawyers in St. Catharines. Maybe we'll we'll start there real quick. Uh, The Niagara Ice Dogs slapped with some sanctions for recruiting violations. Uh, Two first-round picks 
this year and in 2021 and a quarter million dollar fine. But after appeal, it is now one first round pick in 2021 and a $150,000 fine. Sanctions reduced and the Ontario Hockey League now considers the matter closed. This is in keeping with the way these things tend to play out. If you go back to 2012, the Windsor Spitfires were slapped with sanctions that included three first-round picks, two second-round picks, and a $400,000 fine. Upon appeal, it ended up being two first-round picks, one second-round pick, and a $250,000 fine. So I don't know if the cars were more luxurious in Windsor, and that's why they still had to pay more, or what the deal may be. What? Anyway, wow. the sanctions are now one pick, 150K. I'm not commenting on Windsor because Bundy is tougher than <laughs> Um You have more expertise and experience in this type of uh thing because you were around the league when it happened with Windsor. So let's go with and, experience. Yeah, so, and I don't have expertise around the league. Yeah. But wh- what do you think? Why? Why do the sanctions get reduced? Yeah. Well, I, I gave some thought to that and I, I started asking myself, like, why wouldn't the league just wait to get it all settled and then announce it once as opposed to making it sound as though they're soft mm-hmm. in air quotes. But you know what? It's kind of the way it happens in a court of law, right? You're charged with this offense. You go to court. Your lawyer argues. The prosecution argues. The judge says there's this. Then you appeal, and it might drop. So I don't really know the inner workings. I think in a perfect world, I would rather they just come out once it's done. But uh, clearly there's an opportunity. I just don't know what you would have to say. I wouldn't mind a little bit more clarity or transparency on that point. Like, well, what do you have to do? I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. To me, it's... it. It was the ownership that, yeah, we did it, right? Windsor, I don't think, ever actually came out and said, yeah, we did it. Niagara's like, yep, we did it, and that's why we made a change. I think it's the, just the the ownership of guilt. But then why, like, they said they had that statement right after the sanctions were handed down. Right, but this is what I mean. Like, why, if the league has uncovered the alleged wrongdoing, or I guess it is wrongdoing because the the case has been closed Mm -hmm. with a a penalty. So the league has uncovered the wrongdoing. Why not just go to the organization and say, hey, we have uncovered this. You will be fined with this penalty and uh, good luck to you. And then they can work this all out before they actually make it public because it could have been right then. Well, listen, that was a previous regime, this, that, the other thing, blah, blah, blah. Let's get our... Uh, house in order here. Let's let's build our case of defense, you know? But again, it, it's not much different than what we would see in a court of law, right? You get a sentence handed to you, you can appeal it, and when you appeal it, sometimes, dare I say oftentimes, it is a lesser sentence the next time. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I put the whole thing to, as you mentioned, like a court of law. They got caught speeding. That's what I put it to. Yeah. And, I, don't and even, the, I don't even care. Like... I don't want to say I don't care, but I don't care. No, it, well, because there's no point really in caring other than to say it's really too bad that, you know, people were playing fast and loose with the rules in the league that we enjoy so much. No, I don't even think that. Everyone's playing fast and loose with the rules. It's just they got caught. Well, it's, it's too bad someone was that silly and didn't actually follow through with their prom- pr- promise and a player got mad. But this is the thing that really kind of gets me because that's kind of the steroids argument too, right? Like the 
the masking agents are far superior. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. So those that haven't been caught just haven't been caught, right? Mm-hmm. They're all doing Absolutely. it. And I, I guess the, the purest in me really just hates to think about that. I know, but you got to address the truth and I what suppose. it is. I don't know. I'd like to know, though. I know what you mean. I just... So the teams that don't get caught, if everybody's playing fast and loose with the rules... And only two teams. So let's just say everybody is. So 18 other teams have still not been caught. Why not? Because they follow through with what they said. I don't know. <laughs> hey, if you do this, I'll do this. Okay. Then they do that. So nobody says anything because you both are guilty. Like no, no player is going to come out and be like, hey, I got this while I was playing there and it wasn't part of my contract. Like, <laughs> Really? I think it was Sanaya Sapergi who covered this league for more than a minute. In fact, when I was breaking into this league, uh, she and Terry Doyle were the the duo that really covered it while I learned so much just mm-hmm. reading their stuff, et cetera, et cetera. She's awesome. She is. And I think it was her tweet uh, after this all came down the first time around, and she quoted a, a scout or a G, I think it was a GM, that said, you have to be pretty dumb to get caught. So anyway, I don't know. But we know that they argued the way down from two first-rounders and a quarter mil to one first-rounder and 150 k You know why that is uh, such a big deal? Because the uh, next year's rebuilding Niagara Ice Dogs isn't going to lose a second first-round pick. Yeah, that's a great point. Because they made so many moves, and or I shouldn't say so many moves, just moved so many draft picks and pieces to build what is one of the superpowers in the league this year. So... Let's start there. Let's keep it in the East because obviously Niagara is all in. The Ottawa 67s didn't shy away, but I would certainly say they they managed the roster a little bit better going out and getting uh, Michael DiPietro, for example, for a non-roster without put, giving up a roster player. Now, we had James Boyd, the GM up there in Ottawa, on a previous podcast, and he said, you just wait and I'm forgetting the Russian kid's name at this point, but he says, you wait till he comes into the league. Mm -hmm. This is a guy that could score 40. He's supposed to be a first-rounder to the NHL this year. So he says, you know, give it till next season and then see how even you think the deal was. Yeah, we could say today that good on you, Ottawa, for getting DiPietro without giving up a roster player, but when that roster player reports to the Windsor Spitfires next year, you're going to see just what the Ottawa 67s did give up. Real quick, here's how you determine who won that deal. Who got Michael DiPietro? The Ottawa 67. They won the deal. Okay. okay. And so the question <laughs> now becomes, with all that Niagara did, and I, I feel this a little bit, and I think it's a relevant comparison because Jason Robertson was with Kingston last year, now acquired by Niagara, but Kingston went out and went for it last year. Darren Kiley went hard to the net mm-hmm. as the GM there, and they did not make it. Does Niagara get through Ottawa? I know. I'm going way down the road here, but well, it's just no. the start of the playoffs. Let's no, go. It, I, well, I know. We were, like, I was hoping that you were going to ask me what, what's an intriguing matchup, and I was going to say Ottawa and Niagara in the East because that's what it's going to come down to. You I don't even so? care about yeah. the first two rounds. Well, I'm still going <laughs> to... I don't know. I, I'm still going to leave Sudbury in the mix as a wild card. Look, they could get knocked out in the first round, but I don't think they will. Uko Pekka Lukanen, to me, it could absolutely steal you a series. Yes, yeah, he could. He could, for sure. He could steal it. I just don't think he will. Yeah. Um, after we saw Niagara and I said, that's the team that's coming out of the East. No questions in my mind. They were so good. 
And then we saw Ottawa, and I was like, how do you play against that? You have no time with the puck, ever. They're in your face. They're fast. They play great team defense. They have the high-powered offense. Uh, 296 goals scored this year. I, I, I don't think anybody touches Ottawa in the East. But then again, nobody picked Hamilton coming, coming out of the East last year. So Such a great point. Right? I, I, my pick is Ottawa for sure. I know we're not making selections, but that's just, I think that uh, as much as Niagara did, they're going to be in tough against that 67s hockey club. I've been on that bandwagon since somewhere in the midst of their 23-game unbeaten run, Ottawa's, during this season. I stay on that. I will say, I do believe that Uko Pekka-Lukanen can steal a series all on his own, and I'm also going to add in there, because I love goaltenders, and goaltenders can... What? I do. Well, except you. Okay. No, I said at the beginning of this podcast how much I missed <laughs> you. Come on, it's got to be true. true. But... Uh, I'm going to say that Peterborough is coming into the playoffs the right way, and they've got Hunter Jones in goal. So I, I'm just going to say don't sleep on the Peets in the first round. Who knows? But I think it might be interesting. I'm sleeping on them. Are you? Yeah. I okay. love me some Hunter Jones. He's fantastic. He's from Brantford. He played a ton of minutes for the Peterborough Peets. They just don't have the offense to help him out. and He's played so much. Like you just As a goaltender, you face so many shots. You play so many minutes. You get drained. And in the playoffs, you can't be drained because they're twice as draining on you. Yeah, I got and, you. And I, I just don't think they stand a chance, especially he's going to have to outdo Kyle Kaiser in the first round. I, I don't think that's possible. Uh, on the other side of the ledger in the West, uh, and upsets, by the way, rarely happen in the first round of the OHL playoffs. It's a very rare beast. But I think the most intriguing matchup in the West will be that series, the 4-5 between Guelph and Kitchener. Because you just look at the season series between those two clubs, that was a dead even 4-4. Four and four. And you mentioned earlier in this podcast that three of the four Rangers wins in the season series came post-trade deadline. For whatever reason, the Rangers, on paper, the lesser team, have played this super team in Guelph pretty well. Yeah, Storm won eight of their last ten in one of those losses. Came against Kitchener. I think Kitchener's got their number. Uh, that's a positive for the underdog because going, you never want to face someone that has anything to lose. And no matter what it is, whether it's a fight, whether it's a hockey series, a sports thing, a, a gymnastic things, whatever it is, dancing. If you're facing someone with something to lose or with nothing to lose, you know that they're just going to go and have fun and play loose and goosey. And that's the Kitchener Rangers. They have absolutely nothing to lose. They finished top of the teams that didn't make trades at the deadline to go for it. They were the best of the rest. The Guelph Storm have everything to lose. And it's going to be an interesting series. It's one of those I've, I've been asked routinely, you know, what do you think about that first round? What's going to happen? And my simple question or my simple answer is, I don't know. I, I normally have an opinion or, or a belief. If Kitchener went out and won in five, I'd be like, yeah, they had their number all year. They couldn't Kitchener just outworked them, you know? But then when you see that game in Kitchener where Guelph just came out and was like, no, it's our puck. You just sit here and watch us. And then you're like, oh, <laughs> this one over quick. <laughs> it's I don't know. It's going to be an interesting series. It's for a sure. great battle. And I, I look at the, when I glance around the rest of the West, much like I said with Peterborough in the East and you, you weren't buying in, but don't sleep on the Sioux. The way they came into the playoffs, Hayton's first game back towards the end of the season, coming back from that long-term injury, a hat trick, 
plus an assist. Frost not suspended for the playoffs. I think they started going in the right direction at the right time, and they're coming in full of whiz and vinegar, and I'll reference the conversation you had earlier this year that we played on this podcast with Morgan Frost talking about how he's haunted by not winning that OHL championship last year. Can they do that? I don't know, but I am not sleeping on the Sioux in the West, and they should probably have a pretty easy time in round one. Yeah, I wouldn't sleep on them, that's for sure. Um, I They definitely have the confidence. Didn't lose in their last five. Saginaw didn't win in their last three. It's going to be a fun second round up there, isn't it? Well, and speaking of Saginaw, <laughs> I, I feel the biggest fool. So before our last game of the regular season, we're in Owen Sound, and it's a nothing game between the Rangers and the attack. I can't change the standings, nothing. And so we were, of course, paying very close attention on our film pros out of town scoreboard of at the, to the game of the night, which was uh, London taking on Saginaw. And the winner of that, because it was London's last game, even though SAG played on Sunday, the winner of that game would determine the Western Conference champion. And so because that was the big game and London was kind of wobbling down the stretch and we said, who's going to win tonight? And for whatever reason, that's this is why I feel the fool. I said, Saginaw, London would go into the playoffs on a four-game losing skid. And I know hindsight is twenty twenty, but I also made the bet with you earlier this year London versus the field in the West. I pick London and Ottawa to come out because I've said London's just going to London when it comes to the playoffs. Well, guess what London did uh, on that Saturday night? They London? They London. And I can't believe I just, I, I backed off my own theory on all of this and said, yeah, oh, yeah, Sag's going to win that game. I'm a dummy. I was definitely wrong. And London proved why I was smart in making that bet against you. London versus the field. Give me my beer. That's why you should never listen to me, because I also picked Saginaw that <laughs> night. <laughs> I, I still pick Saginaw. Um, I, I just, I'm looking forward to that second round, Saginaw Sioux. Seven games between those two. Put it right in my veins, baby. Right in my veins. Pay for a ticket. Go to Saginaw or Sioux St. Marie if you've never been in the second round. That'd be fun. Right? Take a weekend up to the Sioux. Why not? Yeah, message Forge. I was just going to say that. <laughs> Forge, hey, Forge, guess where we are? Playoffs in the Sioux, baby. He might be back by then. He might come home for a week. He might. You never know. Well, it's going to be fun. It will be. It's a, it's a, it's a top heavy-weighted league. There's the top four in the East and the top four in the West. As you mentioned, uh, upsets don't normally happen in the first round, but you never know with some of the teams and some of the players that are in uh, those bottom four spots. And come second round, grab your coins and just start flipping them. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. There are some good teams in this league this year, and I'm going to commit right now on the podcast that Rusty Hammond, the head equipment manager in Guelph, who's bound to have a ton of stories, will join us on one of the podcasts during the playoffs. You better. We tried to get him last time. I know. Showed. That's why I'm he was committing. on vacation. Who does that? Well, when, when you've been around for Rusty, you do. Yeah, Rusty won't do that during the playoffs. He'll have stories. We'll get him on the air. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL and at underscore Chris Pope. I'm Farwell. And I'm Pope. And that is the Farwell and Pope podcast. This has been the Farwell and Pope podcast, posted weekly. If you have questions, topics, or a story you would like to be covered, simply email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope podcast originates from the 570 News studio in Kitchener. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. 
The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.